Welcome to today's episode of, Where Did My Bead Bracelet Come From? Hello everybody, welcome to my podcast. Today's episode is called, Where Does My Bead Bracelet Come From? So what we'll cover today is what material culture is and how that intertwines with Buddhism. Throughout the podcast, I'll look at what the status quo on Buddhist material culture is and how this kind of evolves from the history and past of Buddhism and what it's like today and what that means for all of us and its implications. I'll be asking different guest speakers on their thoughts on Buddhist jewelry and Buddhist icons. And I'll also be looking at uh, different research and books, um, including John Kijunik's The Impact of Buddhism on Chinese Material Culture, um, as well as the help of other researchers and scholars as well so hopefully you guys are able to take away what material culture is how that connects with buddhism and what that looks like in china today thanks for tuning in So today, I have three friends with me to share a little bit about how they view modern Buddhist icons or symbols. Hey, Vinny. Uh, Thanks for hopping on. Uh, I just wanted to ask, what are your thoughts when you think of the lotus flower? So when I think of a lotus flower, I usually think of things like purity. uh, And I remember someone telling me that a lotus flower grows regardless of how dirty a water can be, which kind of resembles a human life. And I usually see it uh, in more like a Zen or peaceful environment. Now, how about if I asked about the symbol of yin and yang? As for yin and yang, that symbol, I usually relate it to balance. Uh, and in Asian culture, it usually resembles the connectedness of the universe uh, in general and how light and dark forces are both you know, competing and complementary to each other um, within the universe. Hi, Gina. So I have a question for you. Is there anything kind of remotely Buddhism, Buddhist related that you can think of that you see in today's culture? I remember back in history class, they mentioned something of like a, like a eternal knot or endless knot that meant something in Buddhism, which I'm not really sure of. But in modern culture and stuff, I've seen it in jewelry, like rings and necklaces and earrings, and even in like um, couple jewelry accessory stuff uh but i'm not really sure what it means now i want to ask my friend raymar what is your perspective on looking at different icons and symbols of religions and watching them turn into symbols of joy and just pop in our generation nowadays my personal take on this is that um it's kind of a negative thing i think that it's not great that um, these cultural pieces such as, or like cultural um, symbols like koi fish and the yin yang symbol I think it's a little bit negative that they've kind of been turned into an aesthetic a lot of people like to get tattoos of those um, symbols whereas I'm sure that they have some uh, representation or like some type of significant meaning in Buddhist culture as we see from the thoughts of my three friends there is an incredibly wide range of opinions and perspectives on Buddhist icons in today's culture. As we heard from Gina, there is also a high demand in seeing these icons and symbols in Buddhist jewelry, or just normal jewelry as well. Um, 
she kind of touched upon the endless knot but we can also see the bead bracelet which is kind of uh, the homage to my episode title today so what really is the significance of these bead bracelets or the endless knot jewelry or the symbol of the lotus flower etc it's all to look at how we as humans in society interact with certain kind of objects so there is a group of professors at the university of cambridge that uh, are specifically in the field of material culture, which we'll kind of dive deeper into later in the podcast. And according to them, the importance of material culture uh, is based on the fact that we reflect our meanings and our cultures um, and uses onto a certain object. And there has been a long history of doing this, um, of, you know, looking deeper into the meaning or the human intention of a certain action or a certain object. But it's become a really big and growing field. Um, they also kind of talk about how uh, the importance of material culture comes from how humans and those certain things interact. And this relationship is a really complex one. And we'll kind of talk about how we see this in history, how we see this in China, and uh, how it has evolved from history and till now. So let's talk about material culture now. What is it? I'm going to pass it on to Crash Course to give you a little bit of brief explanation on what it might be, and I can dive a little deeper into how that specifically uh, relates to our material for the podcast today. Culture is the way that non-material objects like thoughts, action, language, and values come together with material objects to form a way of life. So you can basically break culture down into two main components things and ideas. When you're crossing the road, you can see markers of your culture in the things around you, the street signs, the width of the road, the speed and style of the cars. This is material culture, the culture of things. Books, buildings, food, clothing, transportation. It can be everything from iconic monuments like the Statue of Liberty to something as simple as a crosswalk sign that counts down how many seconds you have to cross the street. So now let's look at material culture in relation to Buddhism. How do Buddhists think of material culture and where does material culture and the idea of materialism at all kind of align with the beliefs of Buddhism. Let's ask my friend Tom here, who is a devout Buddhist believer. I'm a devout Buddhist and believe that the Buddhists should live a life detached from wealth and earthly pleasures. We see this lifestyle emphasized among several of the past Buddha's lives. But I do think objects dedicated to the Buddha and the ritual processes should be of best value. These objects are to be used to worship the Buddhas, so I agree that these objects should be lavish and grandeur. As we heard from my friend Tom's story, we see that when placed inside the context of Buddhism, material culture plays a really complex role. Though the Buddhist ideals in itself deny and detach themselves from worldly pleasures and materialistic objects. Any objects dedicated to the worship of Buddha, as well as objects dedicated to, dar to the Dharma, uh, has no restrictions on how lavish or uh, extremely gorgeous and grandeur that they can be. That's why we, when we look back on a lot of different histories of Buddhist art, we see that they are gold-plated, they have jewels on them with gems, uh, and they're used with the best material at the time. Uh, so that's kind of where that history places into the context of Buddhism and material culture. 
When looking at material culture in Buddhism in China and how it's played a role in its history, there is so much to be looking at. John Kieschnick's book, The Impact of Buddhism on Chinese Material Culture, says a lot about the different type of cases and different stories that Chinese history has that really pertain to material culture and Buddhism. For example, there have been many cases where archaeologists and historians have found that there are tons of Buddhist images and Buddhist arts um, that were made up of precious metals and precious uh, substances. And these were so precious to the point that governments even sought after these materials. Um, there was, I mean, there was one point where the Chinese government called for the melting down of Buddhist images to fill state coffers or provide metal for construction to the military. So that's only a little bit to show how, uh, how much Buddhist followers and devotees um, rendered the importance of using such good material for their worshiping of the Buddha. There was also another instance um, during Emperor Wuzong's rule where he had a sweeping persecution of Buddhism and he issued an edict for forbidding the use of gold, silver, copper, iron, and gems in the making of Buddhist images. Uh, during that time, he thought that clay and wood were sufficient enough to worship to the Buddha, which, you know, this logic is pretty sound and it does make sense, but we found that after he died after Emperor Wuzong died, this edict no longer stood and uh, devotees went back to utilizing um, their good objects and great material to build Buddhist objects. This is just a little bit to show that Buddhist devotees heavily emphasized the great use of material and respect for their worship to the Buddha. I'd like to introduce my friend who has a little more to say about material culture in China in relation to Buddhism. I am an East Asian art specialist focused on Buddhist art, and I like to share the story of the cave temples in China, specifically in Yuengang and Longmeng. These cave projects are the epitome of Buddhist material culture. Built in the Tang Dynasty, these cave temples were projects sponsored by the all-powerful Empress Wu. The reason for these cave temples symbolizing material culture is because of Empress Wu's original reason for her patronage, to assist her rule and her rule of China as a female. We see that the cave in Longmeng is of Virochana, the cosmic Buddha who rules over all universe, who happens to also be female. Her spreading of this story helped to justify her female rulership as well as providing an almost affirmation for her. It is also thought that Empress Wu intended for this project to draw parallels between Virochana's rule and her rule by resembling her face on Virochana's sculpture. Thanks, Matt, for sharing. His story that he shared with us is such a great example of how material culture and Buddhism played a big role in China's ancient history. The story of Empress Wu and how she sponsored the cave temples is a perfect example of material culture in Buddhism. She sponsored the Buddha Virochana uh, in the cave temples during her rule because she found parallels between her rulership as a female empress and Virochana's rulership as a female god uh, together and she put meaning into that. That's what we call material culture. So how does this correlate to modern Buddhism and modern material culture? The idea is still the same as that of Empress Wu in ancient China and today in 2020 as well. Although the different objects and different artifacts vary in material and size and grandeur, 
It's still the same on how we ourselves, as the devotees, dedicate meaning to that certain object. So, for example, when we take the bead bracelet or the lotus flower, or the koi fish, or the endless knot, it depends on how we ourselves are viewing that certain object and how it relates to us and the relationship that we have between that object. This new field of material culture is extremely exciting and has caught the attention of several other scholars in different industries as well, ranging from archaeologists, historians, uh, anthropologists, sociologists, etc. They found that by studying material culture, you can really tell the relationship between humans and society and objects and how all of those play into this intricate relationship and tell another history that we never really knew about. As we see it from material culture, rather than focusing on the aesthetics or the appearance of certain objects, material culture rather looks at the function of these objects and how uh, certain miracles perhaps associate with certain icons and how this then plays a relationship in certain religions or certain cultures or certain communities. In this episode, we looked at the relationship between material culture and Buddhism and how that played out in China and what it's like today. But it is important to note that there is also a heavy influence in other East Asian countries as well that I did not mention for the sake of relevance in our podcast. For example, South Korea and Japan have a very similar culture and background um, as that of China and its relation with Buddhism. For example, Korea has also a background of temples and art pieces and sculptures and stupas uh, that were dedicated uh, to Buddhism and to Buddha to play a role of protecting the country and giving the emperor power and peace at that time. When we look at these influences in other countries, we can also see that there can be other material cultural influences in other Southeast countries as well. By looking at material culture and its relationship to Buddhism, we're able to have a whole new insight on Buddhism and how it plays a role in our society. I hope that today's podcast helped you understand um, another perspective of Buddhism and how this perspective of material culture uh, brings a new perspective and more information on how Buddhism plays into the society of our world today. Thank you very much for tuning in.